Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today is Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how are you doing today? Oh, it's a, it's a great day in St. Louis. It's, it's starting to be summer, 95 degrees today. Ah, yeah, got to love it. Today's topic uh, is something that's going to build off of our previous episode, which was about the SE2050 initiative, which targets reducing embodied carbon in structural materials and buildings. And with us then, as today, is Laura Hagen. Laura is a structural engineer with IMEG, and she heads up our structural sustainability task force in our own efforts to reduce embodied carbon. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. So last time we talked about SE2050 and what that all means, and and a big component for firms who are working toward lowering their project uh, embodied carbon is to is to use what's called a life cycle analysis. What is that exactly? So a life cycle analysis is commonly uh, acronymed as LCA. So if you hear me say LCA from here on out, that's what I mean, a life cycle analysis. Um, a life cycle analysis is basically the systemic analysis of the potential environmental impact of products or services during their entire life cycle. Now, when you're talking about that in the context of buildings, it's basically the potential environmental impact of the materials that actually go into the construction of a building over the entire building's lifetime. So you're looking at each and every component of that building and what's the embodied carbon of that that part or piece that they're putting together to, to build the building? Yeah, at this point, I would say we're looking at each and every structural component and each and every architectural component. That's kind of the industry standard right now. What's coming in the near future will be mechanical, electrical, and plumbing components as well. But right now, the standard is structural and architectural components. How hard is it to to get that information? It honestly depends. Um a lot of the information, if we're using, uh, you know, 3D BIM models in Revit is fairly easy to come by uh, because there are ways either within Revit or using uh, LCA software um, that you can get those material takeoffs pretty quickly because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for material takeoffs. Um, although, you know, not every uh, model models absolutely everything. So sometimes there is some manual kind of takeoffs that you have to calculate by hand, uh, basically, or you know, utilizing Excel um, to get that information to be able to make the calculations. But the you know the manufacturers of these products, though, they're now tracking how much carbon goes into every, you know each tile that they produce and the carpet and you know concrete. I'm sure there's there's some probably slight differences depending on on which product or, or manufacturer you choose? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you're touching on the environmental product declaration um, aspect of an LCA. And environmental product declarations, commonly referred to as EPDs, are um, third-party verified manufacturer-produced documents that actually are for specific products. And those products could be 
carpeting. It could be a steel beam. It could be a concrete mix. It could be, you know, furniture. It could be kind of anything. Um, but that's where you go to get the information about the actual impacts of the materials that you're choosing to put in your project. So when you kick off a project and you're, you're starting the LCA process, how do you get started? And then what's that look like through kind of that design process and then through construction? So a common approach for completing an LCA um, is really more of a comparative uh, approach. So the first thing you're going to do is then um, be able to establish your benchline model. What are your like baseline assumptions to get the model to which you will compare for reductions later? And so generally in your baseline model, you're probably going to have some more generic assumptions um, kind of just to get that model established. And there are a few ways to set up baseline models, but I won't go into those details here. Um, and then the second step then is to create your actual project with your project-specific materials. And theoretically, you should hopefully be coming in with some sort of reduction uh, compared to the baseline model. Um, now, certainly, sometimes you might have specific uh, reduction targets that you're actually going for. If you're going for LEED certification or, um, you know, any other kind of green rating system that that deals with LCAs or embodied carbon reductions, you might have specific um, reductions somewhere in, anywhere from 5% to 10% or potentially greater um, that you're trying to hit. But not all projects have that. Sometimes we're just trying to reduce embodied carbon for, from a client's uh, proprietary kind of goals or just in general. So you set a baseline that I'm assuming is sort of an industry standard for that, that building type. And then as you go through this process, you're saying, hey, how do we choose different materials or make different choices to, to reduce that embodied carbon with that goal of either meeting some you know, internal goals, some stewardship goals, some ratings, performance goals or, or something along those lines. So what, what do you see as driving people that are building buildings to, to try and reduce embodied carbon? What's the what's their motivations? The motivation falls from or falls into the space of just how to have a greener building, how to make a building that is better for the environment. A lot of times we're seeing people who've already addressed this from the operational carbon standpoint and then embodied carbon is kind of that next step uh, approach. So yeah, you're capturing the entire life cycle of your building. Everything from when, if you're looking at embodied and operational carbon, you're going literally from where they source the materials to build the building all the way until the building is basically demolished or set for reuse, et cetera. A lot of times we talk about operational carbon, you know, how much energy do we use every year? So you know, how is that weighted between those two parts of the project, between operational and, you know, embodied carbon of construction? Great question. So embodied carbon, you know, it can vary depending on a lot of different factors, but it typically falls in the range of embodied carbon being about 10 years of operational carbon equivalent. So if you want to know, okay, how much is the building's embodied carbon? Yeah, compared to operate operational carbon, it's about 10 years or so. And this, I think, from a 
you know, on the operational side, it's been this this goal to get to net zero. And a lot of, you know, we've got a lot seeing a lot of people interested in, you know, how does how do their building emissions impact the environment and, and those sorts of things. But I think what, what we're saying here is you can get to a net zero building on the operational side, and that's something that that's being measured and and focused on. But how much how much carbon did it take to build that building that now operates at net zero? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the one key thing about embodied carbon is it's more or less, uh, you know, it's a one shot sort of thing. You've got to, you know, once the building's built, it's embodied carbon has already been accounted for. Those emissions have already been set out into the atmosphere. So you really need to be paying attention to this while in design, while in, you know, conceptual uh, schematic planning and all throughout design to be able to actually reduce uh, or be able to actually calculate that embodied carbon and, you know, figure out how to reduce it. What about for renovations? Is there any room for for improvement in a building and, and that's undergoing that? Renovations are definitely part of the conversation. Um, honestly, from an embodied carbon standpoint, uh, speaking, you know, in the context of LCAs, an existing building is going to have the least amount of embodied carbon of any potential structure. That's because it's already built. That embodied carbon has already been invented into the atmosphere. So there is a huge role that renovations have in all of this. I think one of the ways that I think about it is that a, a new building, if it's 10 years of operational carbon, basically year one, you've spent 10 years worth of operational carbon all in that one year. So as soon as that building's built, that time period is a tremendous amount of, of emissions to, to the environment. And with a, a renovated building, it can be much, much less than that. And I think the goal is in the future with these kinds of analysis with the SE 2050 initiative, the goal is to, to really drive the industry to have lower embodied carbon, you know, in renovations and, and new buildings. What are some of the kind of interesting things people are doing to, to accomplish that goal and really reduce embodied carbon in these new, in new buildings? Yeah, so I've seen uh, really kind of out of the box thinking in maintaining, you know, the uh, in in a in a project example that had an existing, you know, three story warehouse over. Um, a one-story basement and foundation where they were able to keep the below-grade structure, which was all concrete, just for your information, and were able to put uh, a higher, like four or five-story office building on top that utilized CLT and steel framing. And that was a very clever combination of keeping some of what was old um, and, and utilizing, you know, different materials uh, for different purposes, um, kind of optimizing those um, to come up with a very, uh, you know, creative, lower embodied carbon structure. I mean, is it, is it fair to say, I mean, we, we sort of ended the last discussion on this topic as well, but in order for us to achieve these goals, you talked a little bit about material science and, and those sorts of things. What what kind of things do you think we might see on the material side that are gonna that are gonna help us achieve this goal? That's a very good question. So I know the concrete industry is very much aware that you know changes need to be made. Um, ordinary Portland cement is 
kind of the bad guy in, in terms of all different materials. Um, and so we're seeing some already seeing some sort of alternative cements um, that have lower embodied carbon, uh, you know, slightly greener or more greener, um, more sustainable production capabilities. Um, you know, carbon cure has been around for a while that actually traps the carbon that is emitted during the production of concrete and chemically turns it into like an aggregate that is then put back into the concrete. Um, I think, you know, mass timber is definitely one of the uh, materials that has been a new kind of development um, and has a lot of advantages in terms of embodied carbon. Um, and then steel is infinitely recyclable. And so there are ways that you can specify higher recycled content in your steel um, to you know, kind of lower that embodied carbon. I do think, you know, there are a lot of different ways we're going to have to start thinking about maybe doing hollow core slabs more commonly or trying to think a little bit out of the box from how we typically design. And I know there's a lot of exciting research going on. So I'm excited to see what makes it out actually in the industry. Yeah, I, mean, I think with the, the SE2050 initiative and the goal of data and being able to set targets and then this idea of the, you know, of doing the LC, the life cycle analysis to see how we can improve things. That's really that path to environmental stewardship in, in the structural and architectural systems in, in our buildings. Yes, they are very closely related. They go hand in hand. You, it's, it's difficult to calculate embodied carbon. It's possible uh, in limited capacities, but it's difficult to calculate embodied carbon without doing an LCA. And if we are really trying to reduce embodied carbon and reach the goals of SE 2050, um, they're very valuable tools to utilize. That sounds great, Laura. Really appreciate you uh, joining us again today, and we hope to have you back again sometime, maybe to follow up on this topic in, a, in another year or so, see where we're at then. Yeah, that would be my pleasure. Anyone who missed the companion to this podcast where we talked about SE2050 can find that on our website, imegcorp.com. Just go to our Insights tab at the top, and you'll see a drop-down menu, and you can take a look at all the podcasts that we have done. And if you're new to our podcast, you can also follow us on any app that you might use. And we'll be back with another podcast in the near future. Until then, thank you for listening and take care. <music>